Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I am Matt Shockey, and across from me is Jeff Hudson. And to start off every podcast, we always have to put the beer into history, politics, and beer. And that job always goes to Jeff Hudson. Jeff, what did you bring us today? Well, I bought us a local product from Lancaster Brewing Company. And there's a cow on the label here, I noticed. And there's not many beer, there's not many beers you're going to drink that has a cow on the label. Yeah. I enjoy that. It is the Lancaster Milk Stout. And uh, they use milk sugar in here to sweeten it up. Now, the stout beers, uh, people are probably from more familiar with them this time of year. They're popular. Um, they're dark. They're usually malty. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a little more alcohol in it. But they add a little hint of chocolate and the milk sugar. So uh, anyhow, let's take a sip and see wow. how, how I, I, I let the aroma hit me there. It's pretty nice. Pretty uh, – I like that. Let's go. That is – that's good. <laughs> that is a good – local brew. Lancaster Milk Stout from Lancaster Brewing Company. Um, Even if you're not a fan of stout beers, and really I tend not to be, this is definitely- Sometimes they can be too much. They They can can, be too much. I know sometimes people hear stout, they sort of shy away from it. They think motor oil is going to be pulled out. (laughs) And this is not at all like that. This is a real great flavor to it. That milk sugar is just- Gives you a nice aftertaste. Just enough. Just enough. And that- that's what I really notice about craft beers is when they add a sweetness to it, it's not overpowering. When you get into the main brewers, I find that when you get something a little sweet, I guess maybe it's a national palate, they overpower it. But those craft beers- Or if they put lime in a beer, like it's too much lime. Exactly. Everything is a little over- it, yeah. it dominates. And this doesn't dominate the flavor of the beer. It's just enough. Yeah. Lancaster uh, Brewing Company, Milk Stout, this is an A beer as well. Uh, great stuff. All right. So today's podcast uh, is on privacy and the Fourth Amendment. Um, but before we get really into it, I want everyone to get their graham crackers and carpet squares together and pull up because Jeff is going to tell us a little story. Um, to get, And I don't know this story yet. Jeff just said he had a story to tell us to start the podcast off. And I am always in the mood for a story from Master Storyteller. I have my graham crackers and my carpet square all ready to go. So, Jeff, take it away. Well, I'm going to talk to you today about uh, Dolry Map. And uh, Dolry is not a, a name you hear very often. Is that a often. person's name? That's a person's name. Dolry. Dol- yep. Uh, all right. Dolry Map. And she lived in Cleveland, Ohio. And was try not to hold that against her. Yeah, and she was an employee of uh, Sean Burns' uh, illegal gambling (laughs) rack. Uh, So uh, that's uh, in 1957. Police officers showed up her at her house, and uh, they were looking for a guy named Virgil Ogletree. Okay, (laughs) so we have vulgar, vulgar Ogletree, Virgil, Virgil, yeah. And Dorthray, Dorth, Dolry, Dolry. All right, all right. Go ahead. All right. Now, why? We, I'll just ask you. Maybe you can help me along. I think you can take some guesses here. Uh, why do you think they're uh, trying to find Virgil 
Ogletree. Well, Virgil, um, what happened is at the local steel mill, uh, they they welched on the bets. And Virgil knocked the crap out of someone collecting one of the bets. They knew this – she knew this chick over here was going to hide him. So she ran – he ran to hide in the basement because he beat somebody up. Am I close? No. Yeah, he's, <clears throat> he's actually uh, was wanted uh, uh, for a bombing, which, <laughs> you, you know, that's hard to guess. Yeah. So Vir, uh, Virgil Ogletree was wanted in a bombing. Now, uh, who did he attempt to kill with his bomb? Oh, that's easy. It's his uh, ex-wife. No. It is future boxing promoter Don King. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. He was a rival. He was uh, in this in the numbers game. And so, so uh, he tried to kill Don King with a bomb. That's anyhow. Does that explain Don King's hair? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> oh, 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 see, I made a Don King joke. But anyhow. There. All right. So. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a few officers show up. They ask for p- permission to enter her home, and they also know she's involved in this illegal right. gambling racket. They might—they figure they might find some other evidence of illegal gambling there. And probably, probably turned a blind eye. I'm guessing probably a long time on that illegally gambling. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who knows? It, it, at this point, maybe the bombing is what tipped it. <laughs> uh, but uh, she says, you know, you don't have a warrant. You got to come back with a warrant. So. Anyhow, they leave, but then they come back, and there's more of them. There's like a couple cars of police officers. Now, this is a – This is still the woman's home. Yeah, and it's a – you know, she's a, a divorcee as a single woman there living there. So anyhow, I think probably trying to intimidate her into – Sure, absolutely. In. And they show her a piece of paper, and evidently she's pretty spunky because she grabbed the paper and she stuck it down her shirt. <laughs> and <laughs> – <laughs> she said, you can't come in here. Uh, you don't have a warrant. They're saying, you're being rowdy. So they handcuff her. And they look through her second floor uh, apartment. They also search the rest of the house. They do find Ogletree, who you, <laughs> you'll be glad to know was uh, later acquitted of any uh, bombing anybody, uh, including Don King. But um, they found him in an apartment of the downstairs tenant. Her name was Minerva Tate. <laughs> okay. So what they find is a pistol and a small number of pornographic books. And, Gasp. And Scandalous. A, a few things, a, a few betting slips. Ooh, okay. Okay. So, so we have weapons, we have gambling, and we have sex all taken. Jeez. Uh, yeah. In, in Cleveland. This is an NBC <laughs> sp- special night movie. Go ahead. So they arrest her and they charge uh, her, but she's- uh, she's cleared on the misdemeanor charge of uh, possessing the paraphernalia to run the numbers game. So several months later, they ask her to testify against her boss, Sean Burns, and she won't do it. And uh, so they, they – They're going to twist her arm here. They're going to twist her arm, and, and she's charged and found guilty of knowingly having had in her possession under her control – Certain lewd and lascivious books, pictures, and photographs, and they sent her to one to seven years in prison. So, I, I mean, this seems quaint now in the days where you can pull up porn on your phone, right. but uh, she has some dirty magazines or something like that in the house. Presumably, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, and and she's convicted, and the sentence was one to seven one years. One to seven years, <laughs> and and, that's she, and they didn't care about it. Any, they they no. did it to Strong because she would testify. Yeah, 
So she's still, you know, she's spunky. So she, you know, appeals her case. It, it goes through the various uh, levels of the court system and gets to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, you know what? You can't convict her on this. Well, you, why not? You can't use the pornographic material that you found because it was in the course of an illegal search. Why was the search illegal, though? They didn't have a warrant. Oh, if they, they you lied know, about it. They lied about it. They didn't have a search warrant. Okay. And so they came into her house, and, 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 and what this established for the states – is something called the exclusionary rule, which okay. is how we enforce in this country um, your right to privacy and your right against unreasonable search and seizure. If the police do seize something illegally, then there's something called a motion to suppress hearing before the trial. And your attorney, which you're entitled to by law, will argue if the police don't have a right to what you picked up, that that can't be used. You can't use it. and uh, some things will be excluded, some won't, uh, depending on the argument. But in this case, they said that that should have all been excluded. They didn't have any right to. So to basically, be in there. they were ne- legally, I guess, from the, they were never in the house. Therefore, they never found anything. So all that stuff being found is they might as well not even looked because it's not it's not useful anyway. Right. In some countries like England, they would go after the police, and they they you would be able to use some of that. But the police would be sanctioned. Okay. In our country, you don't really sanction the police in most cases. What they do is just decide, well, that evidence wasn't uh, you know, seized, wasn't obtained properly, and you can't use it. Right. So this that's a great story. Uh, that's a, a lot of stuff that I, I know the basic parameters of that story before you started. But the details, I mean, that that's some great stuff. Uh, it's almost too rich to be true. You know, there's just so many rich details in there. This takes us to the Fourth Amendment that you have the right to be protected against unreasonable searches and seizures, and that if they are going to search and seize, they must have probable cause and to get a warrant, and they must be very specific on what they're going to be looking for and where they're going to look. There's no such thing as a general search warrant as was used in colonial America by the British government, uh, something called writs of assistance to look for smugglers. They could just go on ships and just randomly look around. And so the founders thought that this was such an egregious and such an abuse of power that it was written into the Bill of Rights. And the concept basically boils down to this, that your home is your castle. Then, and your home really does have more protections than, like, if you're in your car that right. has a lesser standard. Your home really is what is protected the, the right. most, and and that goes back to, well, it's know, not uh, your home; it's the person is protected, not right. the place. Right. But you in your home, right? It's where you're going to have the most protection by law. Exactly. And this, and we get that this concept of reasonable expectation of privacy. So when you're in your home you have a very high degree reasonable expectation of privacy of what you're going to be saying and what you're going to be doing is private. When you're out on the street, when you're in your car, when you're talking on a cell phone, it goes down. You don't have as much a reasonable expectation of privacy as you do. And this is where we really have to sort of sort things out. Like what – like for example, all right, so you're um, driving along and the police pull you over. And the police suspect something screwy going on, but they really don't know. And they ask you a few questions, uh, and you're kind of stumbling over. And they look in the back seat, and they see a gun. Are they allowed 
to search that? Or, I mean, I have a reasonable expectation of privacy, but they see a gun in my back seat. Well, I think it would depend on the circumstance. I mean, you're allowed to have a gun in right. the United States. So I think it would depend on on why they stopped you. If it was just a routine stop and you had a legal firearm, I mean, when I was a kid, there were lots of people, even in my high school parking lot, that had uh, a rifle in their in the back of their car. Not lots, but several. And, of course, they're allowed to have that. And, I, and so I don't think... Like if you have a gun rack and a gun or even, you know, farm laying there, they could, they could be used legally. I don't think in and, of, in and of itself you could do. But you're getting to the principle of plain view of something's right, exactly. illegal. So if you stop the teenager in, in Pennsylvania and, you know, and they for whatever, a, traffic, a, a light was out or something and you were just going to give them a warning and you look in and there's a, there's a six-pack there. Well, he can't be in possession of right. that. So now that's plain view. You don't need a warrant. Now you can go ahead and search. I always thought one of the clever things they do with uh, the drug traffic on I-95 is a lot of places, uh, a lot of the state troopers will have a dog. And, okay. and, you know, you bring a dog up and you question. But if the dog goes through the the pattern it is, has been taught alert, uh, to alert you about drugs, barking and sniffing and, uh, you know uh, – that's you've got reasonable cause now to search that reasonable car. cause. I think it's I think reasonable might, suspicion or re, probable cause. I think it's I think it. Well, you can you can impound the car. That's, that's probable cause. Yes. That's probable cause. Right. And, and the dogs don't. The dogs don't make many mistakes. I guess. No. All right. Let so. me ask. Okay. Here's a, here's a true. This is a, a real situation happened to me. I was driving on the interstate. I was driving on uh, the inter, uh, the turnpike, and all my at night, and all the electricity in my car went out. So I had no lights, no anything. The engine works. I had to pull over. It was in the night. Uh, so your headlights are not working. Yeah, headlights not working. Oh, taillights wow. not working. Everything's shorted out. So I pulled over. A buddy of mine, uh, this is an age before cell phone, so I went to the next emergency call box, pushed the button. Police officer arrives 20 minutes later, uh, separates my friend and I. I go to the front of the car. He goes to the back of the car. He frisks me. That's searching me, isn't it? I mean, why does he have the right to frisk me? I I mean, clearly, I have not committed a crime. I'm not about to make, commit a crime. Um, just, well, there's uh, been a, a litigation and decisions over that. Okay. And a police officer does have the right to stop and frisk someone um, if they are, in their opinion, as a professional, they're acting in a suspicious manner. That th what you can frisk for, though, th is something that will threaten people around you. I used to have a police officer, uh, Ron Henderson, yeah. used to come in, and he told me a great story. He was a Lancaster policeman for many, many years, and there was a guy he knew uh, had a record in town, and uh, he was acting like he might, you know, be high or drunk or whatever, and he stopped and frisked him, and so he patted him down. Everybody knows what that is, and he got to the outside of his uh pocket, his jeans pocket, and it seemed like there was a baggie there. So he reached in and pulled out a baggie of pot. And he kept on going and got to his uh, boot, and there was a switchblade in there, and he pulled the switchblade out. And then he charged him. Uh, at that time, 
Uh, you can have pot in Lancaster. You could. You could not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. And and well, now I don't know what they would do because I don't think they want to prosecute those no, crimes would, on Lancaster. They might ignore that. Yeah. But anyhow, they they but the guy had an attorney, and uh, the case got thrown out. Did it really? Yeah. The and it was because when he stopped and frisk, he had. And this is the odd thing. If he had gone past the baggie and gone down to his boot and got the switchblade and then came back up and got the baggie, then both things would have been admissible. But what he had the right to check for is, is something to do with public safety. Oh. So look for a weapon. Wow, that's it. So they threw, because of the sequence, they threw them both out. And this guy walked. So I guess in my situation, the officer can make a very easy argument that the, there's two men on the turnpike who just happen to push a call box. I have no idea really why they need me. It's reasonable for me to separate them and for my own safety to do a quick frisk. Well, I think that's what they're going to say for his own safety. Right. And like you said, there's two. There's right. two, two men there and conceivably overpower him or right. use a knife against him. And so I think that was – I mean you didn't – take this to court you weren't charged no, no it was just a curiosity of mine yeah but that i was frisked and of course i didn't I, I didn't question the police officer or anything it was i understood he was doing it for his own safety but it always kind of stuck with me like wow he frisked me and my friend um and asked us the similar questions and i guess it does make sense you know we're in a, we're in western pa on the turnpike at one o'clock in the morning you know very easily if we wanted to do something if that was our intention it could have happened um <sighs> Let's talk about times, and we talked about one of them, plain view. Let's talk about some other times where warrants aren't needed, um, where they can search. And um, and one of the things I see on television, and this is sort of even crazy, but it seems that so many people, maybe they're confused. They give consent. They police officer says, may I search? And they say yes. And the police officers finds drugs or weapons, I don't know if they knew that they were allowed to say no, but certainly consent is a huge part of... Well, and when you bring this up, I mean, I've taught these things to groups of teenagers before, and they go, I would never let... And, you know, somebody come in and search if at my home, or, you know, I wouldn't let somebody search my car. And I don't think they fully understand the power of authority figures. And right. generally, police officers, after a while grow into that and and I don't mean in a bad way here I mean they they present themselves uh, like they're trying to enforce the law which of course is what they're trying to do and it's a little harder than you think you're sitting there with a person with a badge and if they've had years of experience some they carry themselves a certain oh, yeah, way absolutely and they go you know uh, there there's you know the, the situation teenagers oh there's a, we've heard a noise somebody saw someone in in the parking lot that looked like they were sick uh, can we come in? And you, you think, oh, no. You're going to say, oh, no, no. Just get the heck. It's a little easier to say that than actually do that. So consent is is another way, and I think a way that uh, people often uh, get caught or, or, or evidence is seized that can be used against them in court. Of course, uh, hot pursuits, another. Right. Okay, yes. You know, if they get a call that a bank is being robbed and they show up and they see people run out of the bank and hop into a car and they go chase, they don't have to get a search warrant to get, 
<laughs> once they to go into that car and find that they've you know they've they've seen that happen. The right. I have, all, I have uh, the good faith exception. I guess sometimes there's uh, searches done that are technically illegal um, because a w- warrant was misprinted, the date's wrong, the address is wrong, or something along those lines. But as long as a police officer is conducting the search in good faith, that he thought he did all the right steps, even though there might be a snafu someplace, that is also then going to be allowed by courts. I remember a case, and I don't know the specific name of it, but they were going on to buses, on a Greyhound buses, and they were uh, walking up to people and asking them to search luggage uh, because people were smuggling drugs through. And um, some a woman said yes, and they searched her luggage and sure enough found drugs. And she um, said, took it to court and said, this is an illegal search. And the argument was it was consent. They asked you and you said yes. And the court came back and said, no, not in that circumstance. In that closed circumstance, the police officer standing right over top of you, right beside the bus. I mean, you're on the bus standing right over top of you. You are not in a position to say no at that point. You are coerced into saying yes. So I thought that was interesting that there's that small narrow that even consent sometimes isn't consent if you're being coerced into consent. You know, uh, one uh, instance of surgeons uh, that people will be really familiar with this, uh, either coming in and out of the United States, getting on airplanes, especially since 9-11 – uh, and basically what you do is you give up some of your rights there. Yes, you do. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you, they would argue, as you said, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. If you're driving in from Mexico, uh, you know, into the United States in your car, you don't really have that. Uh, you could – and if you're getting on an airplane – and like every other thing, they're trying to balance the the – interest of the public against the interests of the individual. And if you're getting on an airplane, the consequences of not not searching right. are so huge uh, that basically, I mean, and people accept that for the most part. I mean, right. you go through an x-ray scanner and nowadays in museums and a lot of people think schools, there should be scanners and so forth. And, and uh, so it, it is interesting how people will come to accept a, a, a in the right circumstance, uh, an invasion of their privacy. If they if they understand it's for the public good, and then you'll see these, uh, you'll see checkpoints on. If you get online on YouTube, uh, they'll have border agents. You can be within a hundred miles of the border and set up a citizen checkpoint where people come through and they'll ask you if you're an American citizen. Um, and you can see if you watch these videos online, there's lots of people who refuse to answer the question. I'm 100 miles from the border. I'm 50 miles from the border. And you pull in and they say, are you an American citizen? And they're saying, I'm not answering that question. I'm driving down the highway in a free country. I'm allowed to drive unmolested. Uh, and in the end, they win. Uh, in the end, the the border security cannot force them to say yes or no to being a U.S. citizen. But that's 50, 60 miles away from the border. That's not a border crossing. Um, if you want to um, – DUI checkpoints – is just another interesting one where you're, you have a right to privacy. They have a right to stop you. They have a right to ask you questions. You don't have to answer any of the questions. No, and you don't have to take a breathalyzer. You can refuse to, but the fact that you refuse to can be used in court. Right. I say I stopped. I you know I saw these you know symptoms of what I thought was erratic driving. The police officer. I asked the person to take a breathalyzer, but they refused. And you can present that in court and. Uh, 
you know, the presumption of innocence might might sort of leave some of the the judges or the jury behind if you say, well, you know, because then the question is, well, why did you refuse to to do that? Because you're you don't have to take. And there's some other videos floating online called First Amendment audits, and I think they really should be called Fourth Amendment audits. I don't know if you've ever seen these. What people do is they get cameras. And they'll go to a public building, like the FBI building, and they'll stand on the sidewalk and they'll start filming the building. And, of course, all the FBI agents come out and say, why are you filming the building? And the guy's like, because I want to film the building. I'm standing on public property. I'm filming a public building. Uh, and th- you ever see- and, and they're like, we want to see identification. We want to see identification. It's like, I'm not showing you identification. What's the crime I committed? You can't film the building. I can film the building. Your eyes cannot commit trespass. I am standing on a public sidewalk. That's a public building. I'm filming it. And it's funny to watch them argue back and forth. And in the end, they don't have to identify themselves. They can film all those buildings as long as you are standing on public property. They call it First Amendment, but it's really a Fourth Amendment right to privacy that I don't have to give you a government agent my name and my address and my identification if I have not committed a crime or I'm about to commit a crime. A lot of people don't fully understand the nature of the Bill of Rights. And it, it makes law enforcement, and, and the, the Fourth Amendment makes law enforcement's job harder. And sometimes guilty people go free. They just Absolutely. do. But it's designed to protect the rights of the individual. That's why it's there. And it's, it's cumbersome, but it, it's it's designed to protect everybody's rights. I got a little story for I'd you. I'd love to end this whole thing on a story. Uh, it's, uh, there was a case, Bird versus the United States, in 2018, just this past All summer. Right. A guy named Terrence Bird was driving on a divided four-lane highway near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There you go. Right down the road. And he was pulled over because he violated a state law requiring drivers to use the left lane for passing only. So, and that's obviously it should be a law in prison. <laughs> well, by yeah. years on that one. The uh, officer stopped him. Uh, they recognized the car as a as a, as a rental car. And they asked uh, uh, Bird for his license and rental agreement, which he, uh, you know, he said he didn't have there. Once he found it, they found out his name wasn't on the rental agreement. And they they ran his ID, and they found out he was using an alias, <laughs> and he had an outstanding warrant in New Jersey. So, hey, you got a guy who's busted. So they used that information uh, to search the car. Oh. So what did they find? Well, that search is illegal. Well, what, what did they find? In the car? Yeah. Uh, they find illegal cigarettes that he was taking <laughs> back to New Jersey to sell. They found... Heroin and body armor. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> I was close. Right. So I think most people, though, go, this guy, he, his name's not on a rental agreement. He's <laughs> under an alias. Yeah. He's wanted under a warrant in New Jersey, and they found him with heroin and body armor. I mean, I'm saying- He's guilty. But he's busted. Come on. Put this guy away. Well, his uh, motion to suppress was not granted. What? And-, and uh, his motion to suppress the evidence was not granted, and he was going to be well, – he was convicted. Uh-huh. He appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided – and this is – remember what the, the court is in 2018. You, know, you have what, five judges that are nominated by Republicans, conservative, right. you would think law and order court, unanimous decision. It's, well, you go with what your instincts were. Right. 
can't you search. You had warrant. They, they, they couldn't search him. I mean, there's they no- couldn't search, and they said that even uh, uh, rental cars, people driving rental cars have rights protecting them from unconstitutional, unconstitutional searches by police. So there you go. Right. Well, that's a great story to end the whole thing on. Uh, this discussion could go on for a long time. And also, I want to put a little caveat in here that obviously – Jeff and I are not lawyers, so please do not or go. Or police officers. Yeah. So please do not go into a court of law or argue with a police officer based on what we are telling you. Though we are very well-informed individuals, we don't want you to get in trouble. So thanks once again. You can check out our podcast, History, Politics, and Beer. Uh, drop us a line at historypoliticsandbeer at gmail.com. Until next time, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy yourselves.